0: This is Proxy Countdown. Welcome to the big show for the week of January 29th, 2024. Alongside my tag team partner, Matt Muscardi. I'm Damian Rollis. On today's countdown, a strange game of musical board chairs at Superior Energy Service. A climate denier activist at BP vote results at Becton Dickinson and Walgreens, and our first foray into a non-U.S. annual shareholder meeting at German technology conglomerate Siemens, where we test Matt's analytical patience and prowess. Let's begin on our trade wire, where it's been a quiet week in player moves as it seems that most large cap companies have an idea of their early 2024 rosters already. Sintas Corporation added Beverly Carmichael. Beverly is a director at Viad and brings decades of human resources expertise to Sintas, including uh, she was formerly chief people officer at Red Robin, Cracker Barrel and Ticketmaster. Trimble added two new directors, Kara Sprague and Ron Narishin. Kara is chief product officer at F5. This is her first directorship, while Ron is the former CEO and current chair at Keysight Technologies, where he controls a board leading 19% of influence. At S&T Bank Corp, say goodbye to Stephen Weingarten, who is stepping down at the company's 2024 annual meeting. And lastly, at Superior Energy Services, we have an unusual director dance that I haven't seen before. Bear with me here, first. (laughs) Okay. Julie Robertson resigned and then shareholders elected Ian Foster three days later to fill the vacancy created by the resignation of Julie Robertson, then Timothy Winfrey also resigned and shareholders elected Julie Robertson three days later to fill the vacancy created by the resignation of Timothy Winfrey. Matt, the same Julie Robertson whose resignation created a vacancy that was filled by Ian Foster. So the real question is, why couldn't Julie Robertson replace Julie Robertson?
1: This is weird. It is the it's the same Julie Robertson. The, this is the sure. exact
0: yes. This is the exact language from the filing. This is exactly how they how they uh, how they filled the vacancies in that order.
1: So here's tea leaf reading, <laughs> and this is what you sometimes have to do in these people situations. Julie Robertson and Timothy Winfrey hated each other. Ooh. Timothy Winfrey refused to leave despite being asked so julie robertson made a threat and then walked out investors brought him back and then the rest of the board said we tim you get out get out mm-hmm. we 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 want julie back and it allowed getting tim out allowed julie to come
0: back that's, that's your my, that's matt's that trajectory. is my con-
1: Pure conspiracy theory.
0: For all listeners at Superior Energy Services, reach out to the proxy countdown. Let us know what happened. Moving over to our proxy cage matches. Nothing new at Disney to report. So let's move over to a strange case at BP, where activist investor Blue Bell Capital Partners has called on BP to ditch its commitment to cut oil and gas output as well as other key parts of its strategy to transform the company into a clean energy provider. In a letter seen by the Financial Times, Bluebell said, BP's pledge to reduce oil and gas production by 25% by 2030 uh, compared with 2019 levels meant it was destroying shareholder value by moving away from hydrocarbons faster than society. The hedge fund also challenged the pace and extent of investment in BP's transition uh, businesses, biofuels, convenience, charging, renewables, and hydrogen, by stating that BP should reduce investments in bioenergy, hydrogen, and renewables uh, by 2030 by $28 billion, or 60%. Most of the reduction, according to Bluebell, could be achieved by stopping all investment in renewables, a sector where BP has no right to win, it said, against specialist incumbents. How about that from Bluebell?
1: Well, well let's remind everybody who Bluebell is. They are effectively the Strive Asset Management of Europe. And for memory's sake, they uh, just a few years ago were writing letters to axe Larry Fink from BlackRock because of his focus on ESG. So they were an early anti-woke player, but they uh, they they are are about as successful as Strive has been in having any action behind their letter writing. They have 250 million in assets under management, which is even less than Strive has. They have asked Glencore to do more coal stuff, and now they're after BP to stop doing all that pesky renewable. Um, File this firmly in idiot with the megaphone category. This is not something that is actually a serious proxy match. and I don't think anyone will take it
0: seriously. Moving over to our vote results table. Let's start with one notable vote at a smaller cap company at EnterPack Tool Group. There are over 14 million votes against, say, on pay, representing 29% of the vote, but only an average of about 1.5 million votes against the Compensation Committee board members who crafted the pay policies. Big disconnect I, I there. I mean,
1: well, it, it brings up the Elon Musk
0: question. Right? We've just
1: seen Elon Musk see his pay get revoked um, by the Delaware courts. It was one you know, minority shareholder who sued, saying this is bad for investors. And frankly, the compensation committee has never seen less than 90% support at, at uh, Tesla. So people don't seem to be the problem in the equation of people coming up with compensation.
0: At large cap companies, the votes are in at two companies previewed here at the Proxy Countdown, Becton Dickinson & Company and Walgreens Boots Alliance. At Becton, shareholders are more than happy as no single proposal received more than 10% votes against. On the big vote, Matt recommended a vote against chair and CEO Thomas Polin based on a network power analysis. 8% 8% of shareholders agreed with Matt's analysis, while the other 92% voted for the CEO's reelection. Ma- Matt also said no on Sam Pay, but again, 92% of voters disagreed with that assessment. You could see the real power of proxy countdown there. At Walgreens, Matt passionately advocated against Executive Chair Stefano Piscina, Compensation Committee Chair Nancy Schlichting. And lead independent director Ginger Graham. All three directors, Matt, unfortunately, were reelected with ease, but it's worth pointing out that their votes against represented the three highest values uh, on the board. So, some influence there, Matt. That's
1: something. That's a start.
0: Matt said no on pay. 14% of shareholders actually agreed with that. Matt said no on a cigarette waste report proposed by the Sisters of St. Francis of Philadelphia. Unfortunately for the nuns, 94% of voters agreed with Matt and rejected this proposal. Matt said yes on Kenneth Steiner's proposal for an independent board chair. 31% of voters agreed, but the proposal still falls short of a majority this is down from 34% support in 2023. That part makes me sad that I actually
1: might have removed support for this.
0: <laughs> a living wage proposal brought by John Shevedon was rejected by just over 90% of the vote. An anti-woke, anti-ESG proposal from the troll group known as the National Center for Public Policy Research received a very sad support of just 1% of the voters and... And finally, a pro-choice church requesting a report on risks of reproductive health care legislation received the support of only 8% of share voters. Before we move on to our big vote at Siemens, two other notable votes at large cap companies include 27% against Sayon Pay at Air Products and Chemicals, and 22% of votes against compensation committee chair, Nancy McKinstry at Accenture, despite the fact that say on pay was approved by 91% of shareholders. I'm not sure about uh, the disconnect there as well. That's it. That's the, from our vote results table, Matt, let's move on to the big vote. <music> Where we're covering our first non-American company, Siemens. Uh, Siemens, uh, based in Germany, their annual vote is next week, February eighth. Uh, before I hand this behemoth off to Matt, I, I want a, a few observations at the top. This is a, a Germany has a, a dual board structure. There is a supervisory board that is uh, akin to an American board, right? That's the those are the, the the directors that are actually voted in by shareholders, and there is a management board uh, where, where, which is akin to our named executive officers. Uh, these are appointed and nominated by the supervisory board, but shareholders cannot vote in these members. Uh, this is where you usually find the CEO. You will not find the CEO of German companies on the supervisory board, uh, of that board, Matt, there are 20 members, the supervisory board, 20 members that shareholders can elect. 10 of these at Siemens are employee representatives. All German boards are, are half employees and half uh, just sort of regular independent directors. Uh, and finally, I wanted to point out that, uh, that there seems to be a real power structure on this board represented by the chairman's committee. Uh, this includes four members, Jim Snabe, who's the chair of the board, um, Werner Werner Brandt, who's second deputy chair of the board, and then two employee representatives, Jürgen Kerner and Birgit Steinborn. But I wanted to point that out, that the power on this board seems to reside with the chairman's committee. I, I, I hope I set this up adequately for you, Matt, because there's a lot to talk about here. This is a very unusual structure compared to American boards.
1: Yeah, so I have to start off by saying I am not an expert in corporate governance in Germany. This is a very no. And Germany is very specific relative to France, relative to Italy, relative, relative to, the, to UK, the UK. Yeah, and this it's, it's, yeah,
0: and I'll say that this comes from a request from a listener who asked us to cover a non-American board, so we're more than happy to do so.
1: So so there's a there's a lot of nuance here that might get lost in terms of the bureaucracy or the legal structures. For instance, proxy access isn't a thing in Germany the way it is can be in the United States. The way the nomination process happens is different. There's a lot of nuance that goes into that that's going to be different. But yeah. I'll say this. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: before you get to that, let me point out two two of the differences here that are important to focus on this year. First of all, shareholders are not actually voting on the re-election of any board members this year. Right. Instead, one of the big things. Instead, what they're asked to do is to ratify the acts of the members of the managing board and to ratify the acts of the members of the supervisory board. So uh, essentially, it's a a vote. It's a no confidence vote, right? It's a confidence vote. Yeah, this is like moral support. Moral support. That's what it is. And to put this into context, at the 2023 uh, annual meeting, all directors, all supervisory board directors were ratified with votes between 99.2% and 99.8% support.
1: I mean, the question I would have about that is who got the 992 and were they angry that they didn't get 998 But the yeah. reality here is, I, I think as you're pointing out, is these are effectively rubber stamp votes, right? Like there, they're, there is very... Little disagreement on these votes, even less so than when it comes to, you know, U.S. elections of directors.
0: Well, I, I will say also that last year there were seven supervisory board members up for a vote, and there was one board member who did receive over 10% no vote. So
1: it is, it's, similar but that's when they're up for election that's when they're right? up for election the ratif- yes the ratification yes, exactly. votes are rub- are largely yes. rubber stamp votes these are 99% agreement so it it's incredibly rare to see a no ratification yes. vote yes and and one um, other
0: wrinkle before you get to the directors i want to talk about pay is that there are two votes on pay this year there's a traditional i'll call it a say on pay vote although this one is binding where shareholders are asked to resolve on the approval of the compensation report. That is for this fiscal year, 2023. And the other one is to resolve on the approval of the compensation system. So this is a vote that comes up every four years that uh, analyzes the entire system to which the board pays its members. So there are two separate pay votes this year. And again, different than the U.S. in that the traditional say on pay vote here does seem to be binding. So, yes,
1: okay. which which is a big which is a big difference. But I think actually, when it comes to the board, um, the important thing that you point out is there's two boards, but there's really three groups in those two boards: just okay. the management board, which is the NEOs, effectively um, uh, the American equivalent of NEOs. There's a supervisory board, which is the The board. The elected board. The elected board members. But inside of that, there's employee directors and shareholder directors, right? And they're they're 10 and 10 each here. All German
0: boards of this side must have half the board represented by employee representatives, yes.
1: So what we're going to talk about is the supervisory board and the influence of power dynamics inside of that using our data. Um, So let's start with the team performance. Overall... Siemens has the third most powerful supervisory board in Germany by network power. Okay. And by network power, that is these directors, the amount of market cap they control in themselves and their network of friends on other boards that they've been on, whether it's in Germany or outside of Germany. These are very powerful people inside a German company. Um, the, the the top uh, uh, boards inside Germany are Zalando and Deutsche Bank. So. It, this is a massive organization with powerful people who work there. Make no mistake, even if you think it's you know sort of like a, a smaller German board or parochial board, it's not. Um, 58% of the influence of Siemens is controlled by connected directors. So these are people that know people and 57% of the influence is actually controlled by PhDs and academics. Okay. So these are smart people that know people. This is a this is an impressive board actually when you break and, it down.
0: And let's not forget that that half of the board are employees of Siemens who generally do not sit on any other outside boards.
1: Right. So, I mean, when I'm talking about these percentages, the interesting part about them is the vast majority of them are actually in the shareholder camp, not the employee camp. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to I'm going to break those two things down uh, in in one second, Um, because it's important here to know that I I know you mentioned that the the chairman's committee is really a center of power. Uh, The audit committee is as well. Uh, okay. The chairman's committee is largely represented in the audit committee, and the audit committee is eight strong. It is a really big audit committee, mm-hmm. um, and unlike in a U.S. companies, you can even see this in the compensation. The chair of the audit committee gets an extra 180,000 euros per year, compared to just 80,000 euros per year for being the chair of other committees. Wow. It is a very big difference, and they value the audit committee very highly. I don't know what that says about the way either Siemens in particular or German companies think about you know, the, the audit function, which sort of makes sense um, that they think this way, but it is a powerful committee. Other than that, the board overall is purely average. 82% of the members are rotation players, meaning they just – they're somewhere between the 15th percentile and 55th percentile of directors everywhere. But right? you're like – but again, you're talking about
0: – but you're also talking about half of that board uh, are employee representatives.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. But there's – make make no mistake. There's no differentiating – when I when I broke it down individual sure. by individual – they're all average, like 82% mm-hmm. okay. is basically all of them. There are a couple that are um, a little bit better, but for the most part, they are very average performers overall. And Siemens is not an average company. There are 201 subsidiaries listed in their uh, their uh, their annual report, their registration statement. It is a large, complex, bureaucratic company yes. I, with multiple public listings.
0: It's worth pointing out that there actually is one Siemens family member on this board dr natalie von siemens uh she is one of 20 members on the supervisory board but I, but her the, the she's 15th generation siemens am i right 12th, about that I think. 12th I think generation 12th. siemens yeah. right so this is a this is a she, she and she so only we're not talking to us, about the waltons no right? exactly
1: this is far removed from the Siemens max power, mm-hmm. right? Like that. So the family actually has diminished power. And our metrics suggest that. In fact, the total influence of the shareholder elected portion of this board is 66%. And the highest of them is Jim Snabe, who okay, is the chair. chair of the board, yep. um, well outpacing Natalie Von Siemens, the family member, which is not something you see in a US structure where you have the family on the board usually. But this is so far removed that the data suggests that this is really a chair-run company. This is a chair-run board, a chair-run company. Snave is the highest board, uh, uh, supervisory board uh, member by pay. 602,000 euros. The next up is 460,000 euros for Brandt. And the average was 250,000 euros. So he is almost triple the average board uh, supervisory board members pay S- he's been the highest paid since at least 2019 and he's got the longest tenure on the supervisory board at 10 full years yeah um, and, and remember he's a, he's a very powerful actor
0: and remember he also chairs the chairman's committee which is responsible for uh, appointing and dismissing managing board members so essentially th- th- he's he not only he chair the board he chairs the committee that hires and fires executives at the, the executives the, yeah,
1: yes um some things that stuck out to me is there were a bunch of expertise fails here. Hmm. There were only two board, supervisory board members who, according to the German Stock Corporation Act, were financial experts, qualified as financial experts. Just okay. two on a 20-person board. And mm-hmm. those were Brandt and Zachert. Both okay. of them are on the audit committee. But the committee has eight members. So that means... One, 25%, one in four of the members are actually financial experts. It seems like Hmm. a potential oversight when it comes to, you've consolidated power in an audit committee, but you don't have any financial experts on the Hmm. audit committee? Really? Yeah,
0: that's Matthias Zacher, who is the chair of the competition committee. And that is uh, Werner Brandt, who who is second deputy chair of the board and also on the chairman's committee.
1: So Brant really has all likely all the power on this audit committee cuz yeah, not chair only is he of the the audit only committee one, as well, right? He's the only one with the expertise, right. but mm-hmm. he's the chair of that committee and he's on the chairman's committee. Those, those are that's 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 a trifecta that's actually pretty strong here. Meanwhile, on the other side of that coin, 100% of the board 100% of the board tag themselves in their skills matrix. As having sustainability qualifications, one hundred percent, really one hundred percent of the board is qualified in sustainability in some way. Okay. At that point, the definition is so vague as to be meaningless. And that that part of the skills matrix, financial expert is is a mandated requirement right. of the German um, corporate uh, stock act, but sustainability expert, there's no regulation on what that means, what that is. In fact, none of the other skills are leadership, all those things. Those are just tagged randomly. The yeah. skills matrix here seems random.
0: We talked about this last week on The Big Vote, talking about Apple and how in the U.S. This, this, we have the same problem where this this the, the, the definitions to which we call people experts in certain skill sets is incredibly vague and in fact even vary from S&P 500 company to S&P 500 company, where a director at Apple might have a certain skill set, but miraculously doesn't have that skill set at another company.
1: And, and I think the final thing on the supervisory board that stuck out to me was the network power question. Okay. Now, Re- Regina Dugan is the most powerful by network power, but simply because she has exposure to boards in the U.S. Mm-hmm. She is uh, on the board of HP, which is a highly interconnected board. So she has a network outside of Europe in Germany. Snape though, is a European power broker. He's on the Marsk board, SAPs from Allianz. He's two private companies. And he's on actually a U.S. mid-cap AI company Mm -hmm. where also on the board with Snape is Condi Rice, Condoleezza Rice, and Bruce Sewell, who is Apple's ex-lawyer, reporting to Tim Cook. Uh, So he has connections back to big players in the U.S., but also big players in Europe. This is really a supervisory board, the shareholder component that we're really talking about. Two to three people, per mm-hmm. year point. It is Snabe, it is uh, Brandt, um, and uh, and it, it is the chairman's and, and the, uh, the 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 uh, the third member of the chairman's board, who is Blank uh, Brigitte, Brigitte
0: here, Steinborn,
1: who is the employee rep, and right. the empl- which gets us into the employee rep piece of this. The employee reps, their total influence for the employee reps is thirty four percent. When we look at them, you can't judge them the same way, and this is part of the nuance. You can't judge them the same way you judge a shareholder rep. First of all, their mandate is different, right? Like it's not TSR, um, you know, purely. This is you're representing employees, so there's a different ask, a different stakeholder involved. The metrics we have actually. Most of them, half of them, were unrated because there's not enough history. They sit on just one board, which is this board, with the exception of Jürgen Kerner. Jürgen Kerner is on multiple boards because he's a high-level representative of the trade union IG Metall, and um, IG Metall actually has uh, three of the ten employee reps on Siemens' board are IG Metall reps um Ber- Kerner bats an abysmal 0.033 on earnings, 0.106 on TSR, a 200 overall. And that's because he's on ThyssenKrupp's board and Siemens board. And he's had exposure to other companies' boards as well. But Kerner is interesting because he's the connective tissue to management. He was on um, uh, 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 Airbus. With uh, IG Metall is a union rep for Airbus in Germany, so he knows the Airbus board members. Airbus board member Amparo Moraleda sat on Marsk's board with both Kasper Rosted and Jim Snabe, who are on the Siemens board. Okay. There is a line you can draw inside two degrees to the most influential shareholder rep and the most influential or among the most influential employee reps given his position.
0: Yeah, and remember uh, of that chairman's committee that I keep referring to, of the four board members, one is Jim Snape, the chair, and, the, and another is Jurgen Kerner. So that chairman's committee ha- actually has two employee representatives, but they're, but they're not rank and file employees. They're two people that actually represent, as you pointed out, big trade unions in Europe.
1: So let's get to the recommendations okay. because we basically lot. have these there's lot. two, there's a lot going on inside mm-hmm. this board. I, I, I mean, my instincts here are Snape is a busy man. It's time to move on. He's been Ooh. there for 10 years, but he's not up for re-election until 2025. Okay. So like when it comes to ratifying, there's no sense in not ratifying Jim Snape. It doesn't do anything. He's not going to move on. I, I, there are too many IG Metall reps here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're consolidated under Jurgen. My instinct would also be, uh, if this was like an election year, you'd cut Jurgen and let the Siemens Works Council, which are reps from inside of Siemens, not, not the broader trade union, let them ri- rise in power to actually represent the Siemens employees over broader trade unions that span multiple companies across multiple countries. But since we're talking strictly ratification, I have one member that I would vote against. Okay, just let's one. do it.
0: Yeah, Casper Rorstead. A no confidence vote for Casper Rorsted. Why is that? That would be my recommendation. Here's why: he has seven percent of
1: the influence. He is directly connected to Snape through other for other boards. He bats 355 overall. He's the worst on the board for his 10 years overseeing huge controversies. .081 is his batting average. He just sits on controversial boards, one of which was he was the CEO of Adidas when they brought Kanye West in. They mm-hmm. kept West— Doing his crazy stuff, despite reports that um, Kanye would spend meetings drawing swastikas and saying sexist things, they didn't fire him until he did it on Twitter. And there was a lot of blowback for things that he was saying. But he's one of the worst performers as it as as it relates to actual share, he's a shareholder rep. He's one of the worst performers, and he has a history of anti-Semitic actions at a company in Germany. He might not be anti-Semitic, but he definitely tolerated some of it until Kanye did it openly. I don't know how much more you need if you're a shareholder. If you're a shareholder, elected supervisory board member. If you haven't delivered to shareholders on actual performance and there's uh, controversial things that are kind of lingering,
0: I think that might be the only one worth uh, no confidence vote for ratification. No confidence vote on Casper Rorsted. And remember, shareholders are are not actually able to vote on the election of the directors this year, only uh, uh, to ratify their performance last year. So moving on. To, uh, to pay votes, do, you, do is, there, is this something that you have a recommendation on? I only have I, I have a, bunch, a couple of thoughts okay, go on, ahead.
1: Uh, on the pay, and it's really about the structure of the pay. First of mm-hmm. all, I, the structure of the pay is highly organized.
0: You know, I'm not used to this,
1: looking at yeah, a lot for, of U.S. Yeah, pay.
0: And I was going to say, a, a lot of your analysis, or I could also weigh in on my analysis, would be from a, an American perspective, which is to say, holy crap, there are other jurisdictions that uh, that very that sensibly uh create plans to pay their executives although you know it still might be a little bit much but compared to America it's yeah it's it's pretty sensible I mean I
1: I, I did need like an abacus and to take an advanced degree to still understand everything going on yeah. but I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. and it, it turns out a lot of this tends to be Measurable and like I could understand it after I got into it. You could see where all the money came from, and it's very fixed, right? Total pay for the CEO was 7.6 million. Um, last year you know, euros which compare that to a us you know executive at a company this size right it, you, i mean it's not even comparable it's not even close you'd be talking 30 40 50 if not a billion dollars for some for executives now yeah this is a there, this is
0: a large company this is a, a, a market cap of 140 billion dollars
1: yes it's a it's a gigantic company mm-hmm. um there was only one thing um, one thing that I thought was great and one thing that I thought was fishy. The okay. one thing I thought was great was the TSR metric that they use. They actually you can get a 0% pay if you underperform your peers by 20% or more.
0: Which makes sense.
1: That not only does that make sense, but there's a straight line it, like up to, you know, you 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 equal your peers, you get 100%. So it goes from 100% of your your target pay down to zero, between like zero and negative twenty percent of your peers. It's very, very. It's not like in the U.S. where it's like you won't get ninety-five percent if you are you know below the fifteenth percentile, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not like that. Like you can get none for 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 sucking at your job, which I loved. I loved that. That was, I thought that was great. Right. the The thing I thought was fishy was actually the ESG component here. Okay. Turns out ESG on average equals about 7% of total pay for Siemens um, CEO. Right, it represents
0: 20% of uh, annual bonus. It's
1: the long term annual bonus, yeah. Right, Um, okay. Then there's short term and long term um, bonuses. The, the, that's a low number. It's not as low as the 1% we see in the U.S. where people are freaking out about it, but it's still pretty low, but it it's high enough to pay attention. But the three metrics that they've chosen for ESG include carbon, um, net promoter score, which is how much your, your, uh, your customers like you, and digital learning hours per employee. Mm-hmm. Now, digital learning hours... We sat through plenty of pointless digital learning in our time at corporations. That is not only totally fudgible, but totally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It doesn't accomplish really anything, which means you could arguably, if you're not, you're you're just falling short. Throw out a learning module to your employees get get those hours up and bang you hit your you know your your numbers for your ESG which is 7% of your overall pay that's a, come up with a better metric than yeah. digital learning hours come on we can do better but you know there's nothing much else other, otherwise to see here it's really hard to argue against the way they they structure these pay packages
0: uh, I will say this to wrap up that compared to US companies, uh, they they do kind of drown you in a in a world of documents. Not only the in the US. here, we are very lucky to have the SEC. It's a very organized system. We have one proxy statement that is is filed within a certain time, every year. Uh, everything is filed through the SEC. A, 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 in most European companies uh, including Germany, there is a absolute sea of PDFs and there is no rhyme or reason to where they exist, where they don't exist, where the information is uh, Some of it is redundant, some of it is not. It's very difficult from an anal- from an analysts perspective and and, and I'm guessing of cl- even more so for an investor's perspective to begin even begin. To analyze this, uh, uh, it's it's just it's extremely time-consuming.
1: Well, in this in this country in the U.S., it does seem like they value the share pricing and the and money over people. And in Europe, it seems like they value process and bureaucracy over yes. people. It, but in neither the one unifying factor. Because if you want to know something about the people who are running these companies, it's really hard to to get to that information, and it's really hard to come to conclusions about it until you dig deep. Uh,
0: Is that anything else on Siemens before we wrap up? That's it. That's all. That's plenty. if, If listeners have other requests for other jurisdictions or companies, please reach out to us. That's it. That's the Proxy Countdown for the week of January 29th, 2024. Join us next week when we jump back into the alternative democracy pool forever on the lookout for shareholder sharks, floating band-aids, and wayward directors.